Hangover edition. I'm your host, Zach Barry. We haven't done one of these in a while. We didn't get one last week. We were all tied up. Busy Sundays. Run into Target and whatnot, as one does, but we are here. Benjamin Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr, and we are also joined by Juco All-American. Gentlemen, the Lane Kiffin era has officially gotten into the win column. How are we doing this morning? off i um am excited i am celebrating with an irish coffee a little bit of baileys and coffee from my fancy nespresso uh and yeah i just think that yesterday was awesome i mean look i i'm sure we're going to talk plenty about things the defense was only good like three times on like three or four plays uh but the offense is amazing matt corral is a spectacular quarterback um I, I guess I can't yet say that he's the best quarterback in the SEC, but, man, he's top three, right? Oh, I, I mean, I think there's no doubt about whether he's whether or not he's top three. I mean, uh, you got Kyle Trask, and then um, you know, some might say Mac Jones. Who else? Those well, are only two that are for sure, you know, as good or better than Corral. Everybody else – you got to think Corral's got a, a really good argument of being, you know, better than or, or ranked higher than. So I'll throw some- Yeah, I mean, until yesterday, we, we thought maybe Costello, uh, but yesterday was no, not not his point best look. Costello. Well, yeah. no. Yeah, zone coverage appears to be uh, the kryptonite there. Um, who, who who could have guessed? Who, who, who could who, who could say? Who, who amongst us would know? Yeah, um, here. What since we're talking about Matt Corral and his numbers and how good he's been through two games, I'll throw some numbers at you. Um, so Matt Corral right now sitting at seventy six point seven completion percentage, good for seven hundred and fifteen yards, seven touchdowns, and the one pick, which. I don't really count as a pick, but it goes in the book as one. His QB rating, 211.9. Is that any good? Mm. To compare, probably the front runner for the Heisman right now, Trevor Lawrence, 73% completion percentage, 848 yards, seven touchdowns, no picks. QB rating, 199.1. So, through two games... One against a top five opponent and one on the road against a, I'd say a decent good trip. defense, good I mean, Kentucky not, team. Yeah, they're not bad. Yeah, yeah. And everyone Look, likes their defense preseason. Yeah, yeah, right. This is not a scorching hot take. I mean, it is. A, it's going to be construed as one. But as of now, if Ole Miss were to win games, it is not crazy to think that Corral, you know, finishes top. Uh-oh. I'm leaving. Uh, no, you're cutting out. What are y'all here? Yeah, go ahead, Ben. Um, and, and what goes unnoticed is the way that he is extending. He's not taking yeah. uh, yep. huge negative plays. There was, I guess, one against Florida early, early, and it was right before probably the best throw he made that entire game where he took a big sack. Other than that, man – He's navigating the pocket really well, and 
it's mm-hmm. not like his pocket is perfect every time. Like he's dancing around defensive linemen and, and then making throws like yep. Pat Mahomes. I mean, he looks really good, right? And I'm not calling him Pat Mahomes, but he's playing very well, very well. Also, if, if you turn your back on him, and you, you kind of clear out the middle, he'll go underneath and he'll get he'll get 10 or 12 yards for the first down. I mean, he is – I think people kind of, you know, he's, yeah, he's not as fast as Plumlee, or I, I guess we don't think he's as fast as Plumlee, but I mean, he's quick, and, and he can get he can get upfield a little bit. So, to, to me, it, it, it kind of makes the whole Plumlee or Corral argument, you know, totally moot because he's not it's not like he's slow it's not like he's immobile in the pocket like you said he stepped up in the pocket a number of times yesterday there were two different plays that he was sacked on two occasions in the same play basically and one of them he got it complete to a guy for about six yards and the other one he threw it away either way it's not negative yards which is a i mean a huge step up from i mean you know when you're looking at at second and 17 or you know second and 10 it's just a massive difference so you know his like you said his ability to kind of duck out of things in there has been really good through two games yeah he's not just an average runner you know but it's just that he's not a running back playing quarterback so like he doesn't seem to be this spectacular runner um but he's he's a really really good running quarterback uh and couple that with the fact that through two sec games he's completing 77 percent of his passes uh I think that it's it's going to be an all right year for him. Yeah, that's been my thing. Is he? I I said it last week after the Florida game. It's a much more composed Matt Corral. It's a much more calm, uh, deliberate Matt Corral. He's not forcing things. I thought a lot of times in the Florida game, and then even yesterday, even when Ole Miss was down fourteen, he didn't press. He stayed the course, and I think um, you know in that freshman season, redshirt freshman season, whatever you want to call it, sophomore season. Um, I feel like the old Matt Corral would have tried to force a lot of balls into small windows, squeeze it in there, take deep shots when he didn't need to or when it wasn't there. Now, I mean, I think that this is just a direct reflection of the coaching that Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy have given him where it's, look, let's take what we can get and then let's let's regroup and go to the next play. And, um, you know, it's not always going to be, you know, hey, three plays and then, well, crap, that's it. Come back over here. I mean, they're going to go for it on fourth down. They're going to play the analytics. They're going to they're gonna play by the quote book. Um, so it's it's certainly encouraging to see this. And, and it's not, and, you know, in this weird COVID-shortened, abbreviated, you, you know, season, it's all SEC teams. So it'd be one thing if Matt Corral was doing this and putting up these numbers against, you know, Southeast Missouri State and ULM. But he's doing it against a top-five Florida team and a Kentucky team that has a really solid defense. And Mark Stoops has built a pretty good program up there. So this is not only encouraging, but it's literally just catapulting him towards the the middle of the season and the end of the season to where he's building momentum and confidence. And I think it showed yesterday. I mean, they never wavered. Uh, I said that last week about the Florida game. Uh, Down 14 on the road, I was – I was pretty worried, and I was drinking pretty fast at that point. And I thought that uh, things were about to go off the rails, but the offense held it together, got it done. Because Lord knows the defense did best. You know the offense. Go ahead, Ben. If we if we lost Ben again, let me step in. Ben, you with us? 
All right, let me step in and ask a question real quick while, while we're waiting okay. on Ben to come back. Um, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw the caveats in there. Obviously, if Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, uh, we'll go ahead and say Kyle Trask. I mean, there's probably another one or two that I can't, you know, off the top of my head, maybe Keaton Slovis at USC. What teams right now today wouldn't trade their quarterback for Matt Corral? I, I think Oklahoma would. Uh, what, what I saw from Spencer Radler – if he's not exceptional with the way their defense plays, they lose games. And, I mean, we've seen it now. They're one and two because Rattler hadn't quite been good enough for Oklahoma. I, I mean, I don't – what I've seen out of Sam Ellinger, I don't think that they're trading – I mean, I don't think that they, would, they wouldn't trade Corral. It, who else you know, would it's, a, a coach definitively not trade for? Bringing up Oklahoma is, is interesting because Corral is almost playing like an Oklahoma quarterback where he knows that the defense is going to struggle and he's got to put up, put up numbers – and I mean, he is as efficient as can be. And as Ben said, he's moving around well. He's he's moving in and out of the pocket. He's throwing off platform. I mean, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I I guarantee you that Tom Herman might might be bullish and say that he likes his guy better. But I mean, Corral's playing better than Sam Ellinger right now. Maybe Zach Wilson at BYU. Ooh, yeah, yeah, they'd be the, good. The Mormon, really good. the Mormon Manziel. Yeah, I mean, I think that he's a person. He, BYU is probably not like, oh man, if only we had Matt Corral. Like, <laughs> Matt Corral may be as good or even better. I, I don't know. Uh, in, in that system, who knows? Uh, against their competition, Louisiana Tech, Troy, and Navy. But uh, I don't think that they're like hankering for a quarterback change, you know? Yeah. Does Matt Corral just. <clears throat> he owes everything to Elijah Moore being in the end zone last year. Literally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, he, he may not be here if Elijah Moore doesn't do that. I'll just be honest. Probably not. It was. Yeah. It so was... maybe it's us who owe everything to Elijah Moore. <laughs> yeah. In the end zone. Yeah. Oh, I'm indebted to number eight. So, um, what I was saying earlier, it, to me, our, our offense plays better. Or Kiffin said after the game, they play better. Uh, once they get down, for whatever reason, we get down a couple of scores. It's like they really – I don't want to say bow their neck because it's just – but, you know, and then I got to thinking, well, is it that or are they just consistently playing well <laughs> and our defense has to eventually get stops? Because right now I can't really think of a time other than maybe the second quarter of Florida and maybe the second quarter – uh, yesterday that the offense has struggled. And I, I don't even know if I would call that struggle. Uh, you know, they just, everything seems to be working well. And, and you, you guys, we won that game yesterday, not really using Jerry and Ely at all, who I would consider probably our best weapon other than maybe Elijah Moore. Um, Matt, you know, take the quarterback out of it. Um, and, and, and really they just played so well. And, we haven't seen Henry Parrish yet. You know, Snoop Connor seemed like he got a bulk of the carries yesterday. I don't know if that's because he's good in pass protection or if he just got him. He, he had a really good touchdown run where he should have, frankly, been tackled in the backfield. Their nose guard was really good. He got a lot of push on our interior pretty much the entire game. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just really well played. It's always encouraging sign when you can get a win like that on the road, and you've got guys like Jerry and Ely who are who are playing essentially role players for that game. 
I thought that Kentucky, I'd have to go back and rewatch it. I thought Kentucky, they might have done something early on to take away Ely, especially in the passing game, because he had he ran the ball 10 times for 44 yards, touchdown. That's still a decent day. Um, yeah, almost fine. Almost ran for 139 as a team. Snoop had eight carries, 25 yards, and a touchdown. Plumley, they mixed him in there, trying to do some kind of, you know, change up off speed, you know, mix, I don't know what mix things about. up. It, they need to quit that shit. It's not working. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a great point, Ben. I think there must have been something that they took him out of the passing game because they really didn't look to him much out of the backfield, and I think they did it a ton in week one against Florida. Those swing routes is essentially an extension of the run game. We didn't see that much, and I think it's I was texting y'all during the game, and I was saying it in Slack. Uh, I was like, man, just just keep throwing the ball downfield because Kentucky was not covering anybody. They weren't covering the middle of the field. And then Jonathan Mingo is going to be a fucking problem because he was – I mean, the dude legit earned wearing that number one jersey yesterday. Yeah, but I, I think you're on to numbers. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it felt like yesterday – I mean, he only had – okay, yeah, yeah, looking at the numbers. Okay, yesterday he had eight catches for 128 yards. Last season he only had 12 catches for 172. He essentially, you know, matched his output from last year, yesterday. I mean, he finally looked – like, and it's good because, I mean, I'm, and I don't mean to, like, belabor, uh, you know, the point of, of the fact that we don't have a ton of receivers getting touches right now. We had Mingo, Moore, and that's it from the wide receivers. No one else got – I mean, they may have got targeted, but no one else got called a pass. So there's not a ton of depth out there at wide receiver. So the fact that Mingo stepped up yesterday was huge. And we talked about it kind of in the offseason, especially when we were, we were looking at what uh, Kiffin had done with his tight ends at FAU. He doesn't care if the player is Kenny Aboa at, at you know tight end. or He doesn't care if it's wide receivers. And he doesn't I – don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. He doesn't really care to spread the ball around. If he's got something that works – He's going to go to it. Yesterday was Mingo eight for one twenty nine for one twenty eight and, and more for you know ten for ninety two. He just keeps going back to that well. I mean every single time. And hey, when you've got a guy that looks like Jonathan Mingo and you got a guy that runs like Elijah Moore, you, you do it. I mean if that's the only two receivers you throw to, that's fine. Yeah, I think that there's an interesting point here though, and and, and Kiffin actually mentioned uh, either at halftime or maybe in the post game about how. He really would like to be able to run more. Um, and I think that's related to the talent that he knows he has in Jerry and Ely. Uh, but the game script has really made it difficult to to make that happen. And also, uh, the success of passing versus uh, the some troubles in getting push uh, in the running game. But I, I do think, you know, a lot of people are calling for uh, John Rice Pumley to get more involved. I think we just need to figure out better ways to use Jerry and Ely. Um, and and get him the ball in space uh, because I, I do think it's a shortcoming if he touches the ball 11 times uh, and only produces 49 yards. Um, I think that's something that needs to be corrected for. And, uh, you know, your point about how Kiffin likes to figure out what's working and then use it is awesome. I mean, I, th- I think that's that's spot on and. Uh, makes it difficult for us to really make any judgments about the other wide receivers, right? Because like we can't necessarily say that our depth sucks at receiver just because we've only thrown the ball to Elijah Moore and Jonathan Mingo because that's working. 
Um, but it would be nice to be able to kind of see what we have a bit more in Ely and and a few of the other receivers that you might in a typical year you would say okay well we can use some of our out of conference games to kind of like you know use the whole second half to try to feed Sanders or whoever uh, and see what they can do but we just every single possession is incredibly pressure filled so far and so you can't really take chances on guys you want, you need to go to the well for what's working yeah all right, we're gonna we're gonna take our quick break here. Hear from the sponsors when we come back. We'll talk more uh, offense. We'll talk more Corral, more Plumley. I've got a couple thoughts on on the Plumley experiment, and then we'll we'll eventually get to the defense and begrudgingly discuss what happened on that side. But real quick, sponsors, hear from them. Do what you can to help them, and we'll be back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. 
So celebrate with that Hewling Station bourbon, a very small batch high rye bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, and just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Hewling Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Hewling Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Hewling Station by Old Dominic, and as always, OD encourages you to share a sip responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. Hey, we are back here, Podcast Rebellion, Hangover Edition. All right, so Juco, you were just talking about Plumlee and, and how they got to find ways to get him involved in, in, in some form or fashion and how we need to get Ely more involved. I agree with that. I, look, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just a game plan thing in Kentucky. Knew exactly what was coming. Uh, and I say that um, with all of the sarcasm and being incredibly facetious because I don't know what they were doing, but bringing Plumlee in at quarterback, I believe it worked once. And it was actually at overtime where they ran his own read and he scooted around the edge for a first down. But I thought the way they used him against Florida was perfect. They used him out in space, running him out on swing routes, putting him in motion, using him as a decoy, and then they threw downfield to him one time. Um, I think that's just the extent of it. I think you just need to get him the ball in space as quick as possible and just let him use his athleticism. I don't like bringing him in at quarterback. Now, I I did see in Slack – Yesterday, someone, I believe it, it, it was our our uh, our big tall boy, Gray Hardison, who said that they just bring Plumlee in so Kiffin can bring Corral over to the sideline and talk to him about what he's seeing. <laughs> no, that was me. That was oh, me. oh, that was you? Okay, okay, my bad. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that I think I thought that was funny, and it might be true. I don't think they I, need to use him I mean, quarterback in, in, in overtime, yeah, in overtime, it definitely seems like that's what happened. Uh, Plumlee came in for a single snap at quarterback. And if you remember, so he picked up the first down, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But the very the very next play was the deep pass to Drummond that drew pass interference in the end zone. Mm-hmm. And that has to be that Kiffin or Levy or whoever was talking to Corral about like, hey, here's what we're seeing. You know, if, if you if you see something like that on the next play and coverage, like make this make this read. Uh, and it, it worked. Yeah, I mean, don't you get one or two timeouts in overtime? So that's a you get one. Good. Yeah, you get one. Yeah, yeah. good. Opportunity. I mean, that's the perfect time to take a shot, though, on first down. Oh yeah, and, and it was quick. It, there was no, I mean, obviously no huddle. I mean, Corral sprinted on, Plumley got off, snap, man-to-man coverage, throw it up to Drummond, and yeah, it was it was the perfect call. 
and yeah, they. I think you're exactly right, Jugo. They had to have seen something because the the dude was beat. Like Drummond had him. It was either going to be a touchdown or it was you know basically the, the dude was beat, so he interfered. Um, but yeah, and and like that's just like the the chess versus checkers we're dealing with from last year to this year offensively with the coaching and the game plan because I don't think we get that last year. No, last to, to calling it checkers last year is probably simpl- simplifying checkers a little bit. If I'm honest. <laughs> so, speaking of, all right. The last week we had a series just before halftime where well, this is not me picking on Plumley, but he brings Plumley in at quarterback and it and it kind of sputters out and Florida scores immediately. Uh, this week we are on the one yard line going in to score fourth and goal from the one and we run the speed option to the short side of the field like mm-hmm. what what was that i mean if we're gonna pick on i i want to i want to pick on all coaches here like lane kiffin is not above reproach on this play call what are we doing there like somebody explain to me what we saw why we did that why we don't we didn't get under center we have an under center set that has done Fairly did well against Florida and obviously did well against Kentucky. We scored our touchdown in overtime with it. And it's fine. I mean, the defense held them and the offense immediately scored the touchdown pass to Mingo. So, you know, really no harm done there. I just can't figure out why we ran what we ran there. I thought for so, sure, real, real quick, Juco, I was going to say, yeah. I thought for sure they were going to go to, to, to Yaboa. Like, I thought there were some kind of pop pass, play action, and then he was just going to be streaking right up the middle. Like the first touchdown he had, I just, I feel like he's the weapon you use in the red zone. Him and Mingo. Yeah, so I, I would say, um, if it was just a straight up called speed option, that was kind of the only look to the short side of the field. It was probably a really bad call uh, and something that should be called out. Out. It's possible um, that it was the option was either to like hand it off running right or run the speed option to the left based on numbers, because actually um, they did have numbers on on that side of the field. Uh, they, they were outnumbering defenders by one. So in theory, it could have worked. Um, it's just that, like, you know, with the sideline there, you have so little room to be able to work. So that's that's a possible thing. Um, Kiffin, did you listen to his post game? He said something like the receiver cracked on the linebacker instead of blocking the corner, or we would have walked in the end zone. It well, was like that was just a miss. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, because you know? you're reading the linebacker, so don't block him. Go block the guy that you beat to the end zone. Right, right. Yeah, well, one other thing, going back to the idea of chess versus checkers, that, that final touchdown in, uh, in overtime mm-hmm. was just, oh, my man, God. that was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That was, that oh. was some straight-up game film porn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean Elijah Moore tells, or uh, I guess slaps Matt Corral on the on the ass to tell him when to snap it. Uh, that like it's time, let's do this. Uh, and you know, then Drummond just blocks his guy into uh, the Kentucky defender who's supposed to be on him. Legally, not a pick play. Uh, he he was you know making making contact within five yards of the line of scrimmage, all that stuff. Uh, and Elijah Moore is just totally open because he has been keeping his eyes 
on the defense while going in motion and knows when, you know, his guy is actually going the wrong way and suddenly he's wide open. I just thought it was well, gorgeous. We mentioned his it, we mentioned his name earlier, Pat Mahomes. I mean that I thought that touchdown call was that was very Andy Reid esque. I mean, I mean that that whole like motion before the snap. It was essentially a choice route. I think Elijah Moore was essentially well, you saw that he had man coverage because right. the guy that was guarding him was running back and forth with a lot. I mean, it was so obvious. That yeah, was yeah. So it was essentially on like Juco said on him when they wanted to snap and just basically like him, like almost like he was revving up getting ready yeah, but, to, to run the speed out. But yeah, if you watch it, you, you can see the line. I guess it was the linebacker that's covering him or, or, or maybe it was safety that was covering him. It was kind of went back and forth to him for a second. And then he points at the end when he realizes what's going to happen. And he's, I guess goes through, you know, the five stages of grief there. You can just <laughs> yeah. see him point so longingly, you know, someone get, you know, someone cover him in the corner and but he's too far away to do anything about it, and and by that point the pass is already in the air, and he just you know it, it just he's so dejected knowing what's happening. I mean, yeah, it, was, it was a beautiful play. Yeah, there's a moment when he plants his feet because he's like running with Elijah for a minute there, yeah. and there's yeah. a moment where he plants his feet, and you can tell he's just like, oh, touchdown! <laughs> like like, <laughs> like the snap has not even happened yet. Well, uh, there's no way to cover that. There, not unless you sit a corner down, you yeah. know, right there on the. I mean. You, a corner you in the flats. Man coverage. Yeah, it's, like it's, you can't do it's it. It's that, or you got to get somebody in the quarterback's face to disrupt the timing. Um, do you, and, do you and, think there was any option for Elijah to run to the left side of the field instead of the right? Like, if if he saw something different, I mean, there were there were receivers over there who might have muddied up everything. I, I just don't know if that was prob- was that yeah. the only look on the play. Probably, probably. Because because what, what what was that? It was second down, right? Second down, yeah. Because, okay, you don't get it, and then you just <clears> – <throat> you got two more chances. Um, you're going to you're gonna roll – well, I say roll. You're going to sprint Corral out to his right anyway to throw something like that. So he's probably coming to that side of the field. And Kentucky's a man because Kentucky's expecting almost to run it, right? I mean, like you, you're going to – you run against a zone in, in football, and then they're playing man because I'm sure they're expecting us to run it up the middle. And so when we send Elijah in motion – and see that this guy's behind it. I mean, there's no way. They put their defender in an impossible position. Like, there was no way. I mean, the guy could have been Darrell Revis in his prime, and he wasn't getting out there. What a great call. It was It was a thing Man. of beauty, and that's part of the reason why we've harped on Lane Kiffin for close to, you know, coming up on two years. And we, we wanted, we advocated for this, and it's finally here, and, and, Boy, are we happy about it! Um, all right, so we we gotta we gotta take our medicine here. Begrudgingly, we're gonna discuss the defense. Uh, I'm gonna run through run through some stats here for you. Uh, tied, tied. I would have never guessed this. Both Ole Miss and Kentucky finished with 26 first downs. Third down efficiency, Ole Miss was at 50 percent. Um, Kentucky was six for 11. Fourth down, both teams 0 for 1. Total yards, Kentucky had us by 100. Passing yards, though, Kentucky only for 151, and that's something that we're going to circle back to. But rushing the football, whoo boy. Um, Kentucky only ran for 408 yards. It felt like it was 808 yards. Um, well, they probably ran for 300 in the first half. Or it felt <laughs> yeah. Like it. 
They they average seven point three yards a rush. That is not good. Uh, they dominated time possession. Uh, they did have more penalties, and they had the only turnover of the game. All right, circling back here because we know how well they ran the football. We're not going to harp on that. The D line, the linebackers, it was bad. the The run defense is 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 quite uh, quite bad. Um, but my it's thing, an experience. The run defense <laughs> is an experience. It is an out of body. Yeah, it is exhilarating. Um, I thought that. Now look, DJ Durkin and Chris Partridge are far smarter than me. They know way more about football than. That, you know what? What is it? They'll forget more than I ever know. But Terry Wilson was not throwing the football all day. Like make him throw the football. I swear to God, mm-hmm. in the first half, they might have only thrown the ball three times. I, I just, you know that you you know you're not stopping the run, so you might as well, you know, crowd the box anyway. Bring eight, drop three, because I mean, hell, Kentucky was spreading. They were simply just spreading Ole Miss out and running the football and gashing them. And there's no push up front. The linebackers were getting caught up in the wash because the D line aren't sucking up blocks, so the linebackers are getting blocked. Yeah, like Ben said, it was a complete experience. It was just a sweepstakes in terms of rushing yards. But a win is a win. We'll take it, especially on the road. And look, Ole Miss is on schedule. This was a a toss up slash very very slight underdog game. And Listen, a lot of people at Kentucky, a lot of people on this show had Kentucky beating Auburn on the road. So, <laughs> yeah, this is not, I mean, this is definitely a toss up to loss game preseason. Right. right. Yeah. It's a, it's a great win, but yeah, defense. Oh boy. It was an adventure. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the defense of course was really bad, but I mean, that's almost, well, I, I can't say it's almost entirely. I mean, I think everyone is at fault, but the defensive line just, Neither being able to clog running lanes nor by pressure just makes it impossible for the defense to be any good. I mean, they were getting blown off the ball every single snap. Uh, my actual, t- my defensive player of the game, uh, and this is gonna, this is kind of out of left field, uh, is Jamar Richardson. Um, yeah, I have, I have no idea if he was good for, or if he was even okay for the majority of the game. I, I did not watch him, but. When it was 28-21 and Kentucky was driving with the ball, he had that sack uh, on on the nickel blitz, and then he immediately followed it up with breaking the touchdown pass up in the mm-hmm. end zone that led to the missed field goal. So those two plays together were drive killers for Kentucky, both caused by him mm-hmm. when we had to stop it. I mean, he only ended up with two tackles, uh, and basically nothing other than you know that that pass breakup and that sack. But man, those were just so clutch. And I, that was the game. That was when it swung. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he had one of our our two ta- our two sacks and one of our three tackles for loss. So I mean, you're exactly right. <laughs> you know, just call player of the game. I mean, that's you know he that he had two of the biggest or you know two of the three biggest plays of the game. But we've got a and I'm sure the coaching staff's on this, but. We, I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's if it's uh, a lack of depth. You know, leads to us being tired at the end of the half. But and I don't know if it's as simple as you know winning the coin flip and choosing to defer. But we've got to do something about this whole fourteen points on the on the back end of the first half and the end, you know front end of the second half. That's a mm-hmm. killer. And the fact that we were able to come back, we weren't able to come back from it against Florida. It was a difference in the game. Fourteen points was the difference in a sixteen point game, and it was almost the difference in the game yesterday. 
you know, the, those 14 points, when you, when you spot a team 14 points without you touching the ball, I mean, you're going to lose nine times out of 10. And we were fortunate that we had the offense to come back. But I think the only other team on the schedule we probably beat by doing that again is Vanderbilt. I don't think we beat Arkansas by giving them 14 points in a row to end the first half and to start the second half. And I don't know if it's, if it's you know, like I said, lack of depth at the end of the first half hurts and then they, you know, scheme it well in the, to start the second half. But that's a killer. And, and to come back from it, you know, two weeks in a row, it hurts and to get down 28, 14 like that. And, but, but the defense did play. Yeah. They gave up a ton of yards. They only gave up 14 points in the second half and seven of those were right out of the shoot. So they played what 26 minutes of football in the second half and gave up one touchdown. And they played I, better. I mean, they played, they played a lot. In the second half. Yeah. They which did. tells me that the scheme is there. If they, if they're playing better in the second half, the players didn't get better at halftime. The, the scheme must've gotten better. Where is, and this is not me picking on him, because maybe it's just because he missed preseason practice. Where is Sam Williams? Yep. Yeah. I mean, we need him to be a sack, you know, pass rush, special, like specialist, especially a lot of times yesterday, they're putting Ryder Anderson's hand in the ground. Mm-hmm. And Sam Williams is standing up. So if he's going to be the guy standing up, he needs to be making plays. And, and I mean, I, don't, I called Jonathan Mingo out last. Maybe this is just gonna, you know, good. This mojo is the, for him this going is the way we get it done, Ben. As uh, we speak, this it is how Ole Miss beats Alabama. But that was too good. Um, no, you, you're right. They we did play better in the second half, and because at halftime I was texting people. I don't know if this is our players or our staff as far as defense goes. Um, but we're just, we're just really bad over there right now. And um, they, you're exactly and we, right. We, we bounce off ball carriers. It, y- yes. Yes. And we, I mean, we've been just not been physical. It looked like, in my opinion, it looked like they got chewed out at halftime by Lane Kiffin because we, we had, um, can y'all hear me? We had, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, somebody was trying to cut in. We had a uh, uh, so many missed tackles in the first half, and we just played so much more physical in the second. I mean, just so much more. And it we had not really stopped anybody at the line of scrimmage all year until the third quarter against Kentucky, halfway through. I mean, Zach, you talk about they had 7.5 yards per carry. That's with our defense playing well the last 20 minutes of the game. <laughs> I mean – at one time, I watched the game at Knicks. At one time, I bet we had we were giving up 17 or 18 yards of carry. Now, the play of the game is the guy running down the the dude throwing the deuces as he's going into the end zone. I mean, that that was huge, but, you know, and I'm taking that long run into consideration. But, man, they were gashing us. First down run after first down run is unbelievable. Now, one thing. We would be remiss if we didn't mention this. Now, Terry Wilson is no slouch, and Cavassier Smoke is is certainly no slouch. That dude will play on Sunday. But the angles, the tackling, um, lack thereof, I should say, it just leaves a lot to be desired. And, look, I know it's week two, and there was no spring practice, and they didn't really have a real fall camp, and there's COVID, and I understand that. But everybody's going through that. And – I just think that this is just going to be a year where we just kind of have to accept it and just grit your teeth on Saturday when you're watching the game because a lot of it is going to be Jimmy's and Joe's 
and you just don't have the pieces to really compete in the trenches right now in the SEC. Yeah, we do. And I said this yesterday, and y'all tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, We also, like, you talked about Sam Williams, Ben. I mean, maybe that's part of not having a a normal fall camp for him and and a lot of other things going on, you know, off the field. But Lakia Henry, and maybe maybe this is what he wants to play at. Maybe this is what the coaches want him at. He looks 10 pounds heavy, and and because of that, he looks a step slow. Uh, He trailed, and I get Terry Wilson's fast. He trailed Terry Wilson in the end zone three – to a first down once, and then the end zone twice. That that Terry Wilson just kind of went on around the outside, and and you need that linebacker to be there and make that tackle or to push him out like of bounds. Mary out there is what yeah. he looks like. Yeah. When he Whoa. needs to look like, he needs to look like uh, uh, Patrick. Uh, what was the guy's name from 08? No, it was. Uh, I'm drawing a blank now. Well, I was gonna say he needs One. to look like Gary fucking Pack. <laughs> Patrick Willis. No. Um. <laughs> Ashley Palmer. Jonathan Cornell. Uh, Patrick Trahan. Trahan. Patrick That's Trahan, we yeah. Need. We need somebody like that that can play sideline to sideline. We don't have that player. Yeah, well. Yeah, he just – that's just me. He just looks a little a little heavy, a little heavy-footed. And that's – I mean, when your linebacker, when one of your you know best linebackers is – is a step slow. I mean, what are you doing? And then, you know, there's not, we don't have a lot of guys that can tackle on our defense. And so when you have one and he's a step slow, well, then you're in trouble. But, you know, we heard all fall camp, how good the linebackers are going to be. Oh, this is going to be one of the best groups of linebackers we've had. And maybe they're good and they're just not getting free lanes because of the D line, but they look mighty slow to me. So I, I think that, uh, Overall, if we're thinking about kind of what's what's to come for the year, um, big takeaways so far, of course, are we have a rough defense and a really exciting and fun offense. Uh, we are likely to score a ton and give up a ton, which means that we will have a lot of nail biters, uh, which is better than I think we could have hoped for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if we're thinking about like the Kentucky game before the season started, I had Kentucky penciled in as a loss. And so that's a win so far. Uh, Of course, we'll lose against Alabama. But if we're in this weird, our offense can score on anyone, our defense gives up scores to anyone kind of territory, then a lot of games become toss-ups. Now, that could be bad. Mm -hmm. Like maybe the the Vanderbilt game becomes a toss-up, more so than it should have been. But maybe— Arkansas definitely does. Yeah, but 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 maybe also uh, Auburn and LSU become toss ups. You know, I, I'm not saying they will, but when you can score like we can score, I think it becomes possible to beat almost anyone, and uh, that's just exciting football in a season that either one could have not happened, or two could have just not been exciting. Uh, where we have something to care about and be passionate about. Uh, not to contradict your point there. I'm not ready to say Auburn's a toss-up yet, but I'm absolutely on board with LSU being a toss-up. I mean, they're going to have to improve a lot from the Mississippi State game for me to not say that. Yeah, and I don't also, just to add on to that, I don't give any credence to what they did against Vanderbilt because, first of all, Texas A&M didn't look good yesterday. And also, (laughs) I I think I I expected going into the season for LSU to lose a lot of 41-7 to or whatever SEC games. That LSU did that to them tells me nothing. You mean Vanderbilt to lose a lot of 41-7? Yeah, yeah, excuse me. I expected Vanderbilt to lose a lot of four and five and six, four games. 
that LSU did that, you know, whatever the final score was. It was 41-7 last I saw. That This doesn't tell me a whole lot. Well, Nick, I don't know if you saw, but SportsCenter was was begging the question, are the champs back on track now last night? Oh, that's, yeah. Well, they, I mean, they, hey, they had a quality loss to a one-and-one one MSU team. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, I, I don't put any credence into that. Vandy is I think the, not awful. The surprising, uh, or the surprise of the season is Arkansas, I mean, mm-hmm. State helped them out, but they looked good against Georgia for three quarters and or two and a half, and Georgia beat the dog out of Auburn. Yeah, the defense is not bad. No, Arkansas is much better coached. This is a huge indictment on Chad Morris. Huge, yeah. enormous. Speaking of speaking of Auburn getting their faces kicked in, uh, isn't it wild that when you buy a bunch of five and four star players that your defense is really good? That's wild how that happens. I don't know. Maybe it's just something about Athens. I, yeah. R.E.M. Hey, you know, yeah, but Auburn's buying the wrong four and five star players, though. Y'all think Coach Luke <laughs> and Kobe Dean go eat some some uh, uh, burgers together on Wednesday? <laughs> yeah. He hey, got dude. his Mississippi players. You know that. You know they went to fucking Steak and Shake, and Matt Luke got a steak well done and asked for fucking ketchup on the side. <laughs> anyway, all oh, right. Man. Um Huge win, Ole Miss now one and one on the season, taking on Alabama next week. Look, regardless, real quick, regardless of what happens next week, whether Ole Miss gets ran out of the building or not, I am all I'm I am one hundred percent here for this week buildup of Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban. I'm excited. Do we do we score points on Alabama? Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, everybody else so. has. Yeah, I hope so. The way, Matt, the that, way Matt Corral is playing right now, we will. So, let me that. ask y'all this. What's the line on the game? Have they released an early line yet? No, we were, we were talking about that earlier, and someone said 28. I think it's going to be more like a 24. 23 and a half or 24 huge. and a half. I'm saying... I was, thinking, big, I was thinking like 13 and a half. Oh, my good Lord, I would rush to the bank. Yeah, me too. But, I'm, I mean, I just... 24? As of, that's a big... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. As of ten twenty eight a.m. Central Daylight Time, I haven't seen one. I'm gonna guess twenty two and a half. I don't think I'm it'll be anything under eighteen. I'm gonna no. guess. Well, I was gonna say eighteen and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As Nick, you said it earlier. No one gets the twenty eight. You, you you called it. That's Vanderbilt treatment. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, you saw it. They, that that was Vanderbilt against Texas A and M. To to be to be at twenty eight point underdogs at. at at home against, you know, not named Vanderbilt would be so disrespectful. It would, oh, yeah. it would be horrible. That'd be brutal. Um, all right. Uh, I think we covered 28, by the way. Like, <clears throat> I, I think that the line's like, or the final is going to be something like 48-28, you know, 20-point win for Vanderbilt. Uh, just yeah. real quick before we go, I want to I want to say that Bill C. just came out with his rankings. Just to give you a, a – <laughs> Uh, an idea of how, you know, fickle numbers can be sometime. Last week, Ole Miss was 44, and Kentucky was 43. Um, this week, Ole Miss is 45, and Kentucky is 42. So, I, I guess maybe if it, he thinks that if – and I haven't seen the, the stats for that game in particular, but maybe he thinks, if it, you know, if it's played 100 times, that Kentucky wins 55 of them or something. I just thought that was kind of kind of crazy, honestly, that our, yeah. our number went down just a hair. And the, the offense is only 25th. Which I, wow. I don't know if it's because well it, part of it could be that they don't rate 
Florida's defense very highly yet, or maybe at all. So what we've done is what a, only a, a good offense would have done against uh, those defenses. This is not a great offense. So now it'll change next week because Bama's off defense is ranked 17. So mm-hmm. um, Florida's only you know, 20. Well, yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't know. The, the the good defenses are Georgia, um, which we don't play. Wisconsin, which we don't play. Ohio State, which we don't play. So. I, I don't know, but the offense to me, if there's 24 offenses better than ours in the country, nah, I haven't seen them yet. All right. We'll be back uh, this week. We'll have preview show, and we will also have the Legal Gambling Council. We'll have our picks. Bit of a rough week, but we're still in the black. We're still doing well five weeks into the season. Uh, but, yeah, we'll have regular scheduled programming to preview Alabama We'll have tons of stuff on the site. Be sure to check in throughout the week, redcuprebellion.com. Keep up, with, keep up with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. So for Ben, for Nick, and for Juco over there, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. We out.